Hello there. Welcome to Just to Be Nominated, a podcast about movies distributed by Lee Enterprises. This show is hosted by Bruce Miller, an entertainment reporter for multiple decades who is currently the editor of the Sioux City Journal, Jared McNett, a reporter for the Globe Gazette in Mason City, Iowa, and me, Chris Lay, the podcast operations manager for Lee. Not too many movies are out this weekend, other than the latest big-budget Marvel spectacle, Shang-Chi, but we make sure to get into some real fun stuff regardless. You can expect tangents that'll take us down a Clint Eastwood rabbit hole, chatter about the latest documentary series from Spike Lee, and a random recommendation that sits snugly in the center of a Venn diagram for James Bond and NASCAR. Also, we make sure to talk about the biggest bit of movie news from this past week. You can find links to all the movies that we talk about in the show notes, along with links to our social media, etc., to see what we're up to and or contact us if you want to sound off in our DMs. You like the show? Tell your movie-loving pals and let us know what you think in the review section of the show wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here it is. Our show kicks off after this short pause. So we got Jared McNett on the line, and we got Bruce Miller and me, Chris Lay, on the Zoom chat, recording the video, recording the audio, not going to share the video, just going to share the audio. (laughs) So did you get to see Shang-Chi? I did. I did. And? So I did not plan on seeing Shang-Chi because... If I had decided to go, it would have been very short notice and getting a seat in a theater that wasn't packed would not have really been on the table. And then I got an email from the local, uh, I mean, it's Flick's Brewhouse is what it is, where it's, they're about the closest approximation to Alamo Drafthouse, I think, because you're going to get without being an Alamo Drafthouse. So there's food, there's, you know, warnings up on the screen before where it's like you get one warning if, if you talk and the second warning you're out and, and you don't get a refund and they played video in the beginning. They, they played the, uh, what hail head of the King, that, uh, thing. They played a, a clip from the first Hulk movie with abomination in it. So they set up all these things that were coming up in Shang-Chi and, and I knew that they, they had just reopened. This was like the first day that they were back reopened since the beginning of the pandemic. And so I was able to scoop up a ticket for the eight 30 show. So I got out late last night and, and they had a dinner special, <laughs> which was 10 onion rings and 10 wings. Nice. <laughs> nice. They theme it too. They did indeed. And it was delicious the wings and the rings and there were 10 of each of them and I enjoyed the film I really did Bruce you saw it two weeks ago yeah I I thought it was a real good pivot for Marvel I thought the idea that they're going in a different direction it's new kind of superhero people with family issues that's what we're noticing now is that you got the the black widow she has parents that are kind of sketchy now you got this one where his dad is kind of a not so pleasant guy. That's putting a uh, <laughs> generous spin. On like it. I don't want to, I don't want to spill too much. You know what I mean? But um, and so you're seeing how they really aren't groomed to be 
superheroes. It just kind of emerges. And I love Aquafina kind of becoming a sidekick. I think that's cool. I mean, Marvel's always really good at having a, a balance of action, plot development, and comic moments that you know can deflate certain serious things. And Aquafina definitely provided that. I mean, I don't think it's too much of a spoiler at this point, but you know, Ben Kingsley's in there. What? It's true. It's true. Oh, oh man. I actually didn't know that until now. He needs to back off on some of these offers. Well, it's carrying over from Iron Man 3, where he was the bad guy in that, the Mandarin, with this made-up Ten Rings terrorist sect. And, I don't know, Marvel Marvel diehards will have already scoured the, the Reddit boards for clues leading up to this if they haven't already seen the film. The reasons that I liked Shang-Chi were more because it didn't feel as much like a Marvel movie. I mean, the first two thirds of the film just felt like a really good Hong Kong Kung Fu movie. There's some really great set pieces that are, that are done, you know, opening early on with the big bus fight scene, which I was going to get into this later, but I, I recently finally watched nobody and there's a really cool bus fight scene in there. Yeah, there is. So, and, and that's where, that's where Jared's going to get, going to get excited, but we'll, we, we can come back to that. <laughs> yeah. The, the bus fight scene in, in Shang-Chi was really good. I wish they would change up though. This is my Marvel advice. Those waiting for those extra scenes has gotten longer and longer. I, I get what they're doing and I understand. Just leave and then go read it on Wikipedia later. <laughs> I should, because it's so kind of annoying. They practically run the vacuums in the theater while you're waiting for that last scene because hell, everybody else is gone. But there I am waiting to see what happens. When I was younger, when I was like uh, 13 or whatever, uh, and I went and saw Matrix Revolutions in theaters, I stuck around through the very last credits of that not even necessarily wanting there to be like a post credit thing like Marvel does in every movie now. I just like didn't want it to be over. <laughs> That's valid. Yeah. And then you didn't want to go home and do work. All the important work I was doing as a 13-year-old. <laughs> that homework that somebody was trying to get you to get out of the theater to go do. I have not seen the movie yet, which is why I've been completely mum so far. But, and this is one thing I think I've talked about before, I'm already a little bit frustrated with the movie because like the theater that it opened at here in Mason city, you know, only has a finite number of screens and it's the only movie theater in town. And it like took over all the movie, like all the screens pretty much. And like the movie, the, that I was really wanting to see from a, uh, a week ago, the, the night house that already got pushed out. Like that came out what a week ago and it's already gone because Disney has a new thing out that just like blocks out the sun, especially in smaller theaters like this. And like, they're still showing Jungle Cruise also, that's still getting a bunch of steady screenings too. And it's frustrating because it just really limits what you're even able to go see if you want to when stuff like this comes out. And I'm sure that for the, the theater owners, the people that are programming and scheduling all the screenings and everything, I mean, it's a, it's a real Sophie's choice for them. Um, you know, 
even just to keep Jungle Cruise at this point, because a lot of the, the kids movies that should have been out have been pushed or have gone to streaming. I mean, Clifford, the big red dog is just completely off the release calendar now. Paw Patrol still in theaters, though. Yeah, I think that's on. Is it Paramount or? Yeah, Paramount Plus. I don't know if I'd say I highly recommend Shang-Chi, but I really enjoyed it. And it did all the work that a Marvel movie that's introducing new characters needs to do. And it didn't play into the Marvel machine up until the very end. No, it's good. It's good. It's one of those things, too. You don't need to know anything. Just go enjoy. If you pick up on things, it's because you were able to remember it. Yeah, I was told those rings showed up a long time ago. I have, I don't remember, and I've seen every Marvel movie there was. You know, am I going to sit there and go, oh my God, 20 years ago? It's like those old Harry Potter movies. The Guy Pierce character in Iron Man 3 was the one who I think uh, had fabricated the Ten Rings as part of his terrorist organization that he was doing. And by fabricated, I mean, just kind of was using the iconography of that. And then they reclaimed it for this film and they reclaimed, you know, Ben Kingsley's uh, royalty check as well. When I was going to the first Harry Potter movies, you guys would be related to this thing. I'm sure you're big Harry Potter people. It was a midnight showing and I, it was packed and, Everybody was like a hardcore Harry Potter person, but me. I have never read the books. I have no buy-in on the books. I don't care about the books. And I was sitting there and a girl started screaming at one point, oh my God, oh my God. It was like somebody in the background was a major character in her life, but not in the books apparently, but she was so thrilled that they had referenced this. And I thought, what is this? Are movies not available to those of us who don't have the history of all the books or the things that come before it? I don't think that you need to have any kind of um, background to understand or enjoy a good movie. But it was like, oh my God, the world had come to an end because she had seen some straight character in the background. But yeah, and then I see that so often is like people will, they try to impress you with their knowledge of, well, in the third episode, I noticed that there was something that was blinking on and off. And that, of course, was a signal to Batman. And you go, I don't care. You know, it doesn't matter to me. I just like to enjoy. And I think that's what Shang-Chi was. It was just an enjoyable movie. It wasn't one that you need to know for 20 years later. If you do, somebody will have written about it anyway. Some of that stuff, like in the past, was like kind of fun. Like when uh, I remember, like when um, True Detective, like the first season was rolling along, and that like really had a thing going on, like you know Reddit, where people had all these theories and explanations and piecing everything together. Now I really don't care about that stuff and think it's just too much. It's too much of an investment. It's too much caring about stuff that yeah, movies aren't really supposed to be about unless all you care about is plot, then I guess, sure, get invested in that. But that shouldn't be the only thing you, you're caring about with this kind of stuff. You know what's so odd about this all these years is that comic books have around, been around since, I don't, can't remember how long it's been, 30s before that. And they were basically storyboards for films. But the filmmakers didn't realize this until later. And they go, oh my God, we don't have to do any work. All we have to do is just kind of follow along and we've got the storyboards done and it's easy. 
now suddenly, you know, they're looking at them through different eyes because it's not just a comic book. It's future merchandising opportunities. And it's, I think they, they ruin what the concept is of comic books, which is just kind of a, a diversion for a short period of time. It's not an investment. And that's what people want is an investment. Yeah. They just make a lot more money on the movies. Yeah. There really isn't anything else out there right now as far as movies go. Cinderella. Get to Amazon. So there's a new Cinderella. Oh, no. Billy Porter is the fairy godmother. Adina Menzel is the evil stepmother. And there's still another one coming. This is not the only one. Plus, there's a London musical version of Cinderella written by Andrew Lloyd Webber. So you're going to get cinderella out. Both of you saw the clip from last weekend of like some of the people from Cinderella blocking traffic, right? No. It was like James Corden in like a rat costume or whatever the hell and like uh, Camilla Cabello, I think, and Billy Porter. And they were just blocking traffic in L.A., like doing like stunt marketing for this movie. It just seems like the most miserable thing to be around if you're just in your car in like California trying to get home or whatever. He's done that before for his show. Wherever there's something that he's pushing, he'll go out in the streets. I think he's done it with... um, Oh, like Lion King or other shows like that. And I know he did The Phantom at one point. Maybe it was a Broadway deal. And I find those very obnoxious. It just made me like James Corden even less than I already do. The needle for you, Jared, is like all the way buried on the left side, you know, for him. Yeah. I mean, like it's starting to bend against the peg. It's pointing downward now. The needle has like curved downward. It's not even pointing to the left anymore. What is it that you don't like about him, Jared? Uh, he's just a, a void of talent, comedy, you know. Other than that, I like him, right? <laughs> yeah. Other than that, it was a good play, uh, Mrs. Lincoln. <laughs> I find him very Graham Norton light. I think the problem is, like, some of those guys in particular, once they get into that, like, you know, late night host world, they just like stop being completely funny or interesting. And like, he's not alone in that. I feel the same way about like, you know, Jimmy Fallon too. Like some of those guys, just once they get in that role, it just seems like a lot of stuff drains out of them. Oh, you're just, you're just the greatest. Oh, you're so good. Oh, I saw the movie. It's wonderful. I can't believe this is the greatest thing ever. Yeah. Isn't that like so fawning? I think James Corden is talented, but in a way that it's like he's aspiring to be Jimmy Fallon. That's a bleak sentence. It is. (laughs) There are a lot of people that love Jimmy Fallon. Oh, sure. He's just a big, you know, puffball of promotion. Yeah, exactly. When we started talking about James Corden a little bit ago, the, the word that jumped into my head was shameless. He is committed to selling every single thing that that he puts his hands on that he's a part of which is beneficial i mean him getting out there in that rat costume and being ridiculous in in the middle of traffic and obviously (laughs) upsetting a lot of people and wiggling his tail and his big belly and whatever in this costume does it look ridiculous yes did it cause a lot of people to make fun of him and the the internet to go nuts and whatever else yes I think too often they feel they've got to be a cheerleader for everything that has grazed their radar. And 
sometimes you need to call this crap out. Some of these movies are dreadful. But you end up with every single one of the, you know, AV Club articles about how they have to wash their eyeballs out with bleach after seeing, you know, him do this or whatever. They open those with James Corden wiggling around in a, in a rat costume while promoting his role in the Cinderella movie. And the, the target audience for the Cinderella movie are not people that read the AV Club. The people that are going to be getting that are parents who are like, oh, there's a Cinderella movie I got to watch with my kids. So I don't think that Disney is cynical enough to be pushing these people out there as a means of generating this negative buzz. It's not negative buzz about the movie. It's just, you know, all press is good press kind of an approach, I think. Well, he's been in some real turkeys. He was in last year's Cats. No one's ever really talked about Cats as being unadaptable in the way that they've talked about Watchmen or whatever. But Cats is unadaptable because there is no plot. If you were to sit down and explain to someone who didn't know anything about Cats, what Cats, the musical, and now the movie was about, they would ask to check your forehead to see if you were running a fever. There's no reason for Cats to, to have become <laughs> outside of memories, which is a fantastic song, and it's delivered really well in the film. Anyway, we can jump back then, I guess. Normally, we open with, what have you seen lately? So, Jared, even though you haven't been able to go to a theater, have you seen anything good that's worth throwing out there for folks to, to catch? I'm still doing a watch through of uh, Clint Eastwood stuff as uh, his new movie Cry Macho comes out next month. I finally got around to watching uh, Million Dollar Baby, which I'd never actually seen all the way through. And I mean, you know, Clint's fantastic in it. So is Hilary Swank and Morgan Freeman. But I don't know, for some reason, the movie still kind of left me feeling a little empty. There were parts of it that just didn't fully click to me. And I don't exactly know why. Like, it's a perfectly fine movie, but it's not great and i i don't even entirely understand why it won the awards that it did necessarily so there's uh my review of a movie that's more than a decade old and then i also saw because i'm on forever on a nicholas cage kick i watched uh rewatched joe from um 2000 when did that one come out 2011 i think 2013 which is a david gordon green movie who i know chris is also a big fan of and that movie is incredible. Nicolas Cage is fantastic in it. And then they just got these like, you know, performers who like literally one guy that they cast in it was homeless, more or less in Austin. David Gordon Green found him, cast him in this movie as like just this reprehensible like scumbag that plays the dad. And then like, you know, the guy was older and he died like after the movie came out. So this is like the only movie this guy's in. And same with like a lot of the other people that are supporting cast members like it's the only movie they were in and they're fully believable. It's just this fantastic movie that's like fully lived in of just like these guys living in a part of like Texas, basically that seems like completely forgotten by everyone. I I'm going to pitch that ahead of Halloween kills. We do a whole David Gordon green episode. <laughs> How do you feel about David Gordon green, Bruce? On the fence. Okay. Does I mean, that help? It, it is very understandable. He is, he's had some, some real interesting hits, both commercially and indie-wise and critically, but he's also had some real big misses. 
that are your highness inexplicably like just off base yeah your highness is one that i would like to revisit and see if i still feel the same way about that as i did the first time i'm sure that i'm not going to have some big 180 and say that it is some misunderstood masterpiece or anything like that but well i mean it it, it was borderline i mean just technically like hard to follow the jokes mm-hmm. didn't land it is yeah it's it's just the, the worst version of the pineapple express uh stoner comedy that he yeah. was embracing at, at least that one though i think to like bring up when I, we talk about like misses for him like there are some other ones that i don't even remember like i totally forgot that he did uh our brand is crisis which was that movie with uh sandra bullock and billy bob thornton where she's like a she works for a political consulting firm. And like that one, I feel like it's no, no one even remembers that or could tell you anything about that movie or even saw it in, in the first place. So you've, you've got stuff like, yep. There's another one that no one remembers with uh, Al Pacino, I think. Um, you've got stuff like that, but then, yeah, you've got like indie, like darlings, like Joe or like all the way back to the beginning of his career, George Washington, which is in the Criterion Collection. And then, yeah, the Halloween movies. And then but all of the work that he's his, done. The TV stuff is good. Mm-hmm. I love the Righteous Gemstones, and I love um, Vice Principles. Mm-hmm. Those are real cool. Yep. Yeah. And those are ones that he's done with, uh, is it Jody Taylor? or? So maybe that's where it. the genius is, huh? Yeah. Jody Hill. Jody Hill. Yep. Um, yeah, those are ones that he did with Jody Hill who I think they came up in like, uh, I don't know, Carolina. art school together. Yeah. Was it UNC? wasn't Asheville. UNC Wilmington, maybe. Anyway. Um, yeah. And that's also where they met. Um, oh, what's his name? The, Danny McBride. Uh, yeah, yep. Danny McBride. So we'll, 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 we'll save all that for a nice big retrospective. We can, we can well, pick our top three. In this films. kind of oddball week, then I got to ask Jared, he's doing some kind of a watch thing where he like numbers the movies and whatnot. What's up with that? Oh, no, no, no. I've just been watching through like I, I for a while now, it started originally as like a uh, like a quarantine project from last year where I first started watching through everything that um Scorsese's done like in chronological order from like oldest to, to newest. So eventually when I'm done, uh, I'll finish with like watching the Irishman for like the fifth time or whatever. But then I, I realized I should do that with some other directors who I have like, you know, missing parts of their filmography. So then I started like watching through like Coen Brothers stuff, which a lot of that stuff I've already seen. So it's just been fun to rewatch some of those. But then like Clint Eastwood was one that was a big blind spot for me with a lot of his movies especially ones in like the like 80s into the 90s so i've been watching through all of his stuff in some semblance of an order although that one i'm kind of bouncing back and forth between old stuff and stuff from like the 2000s so uh yeah it's it kind of started with just doing a watch through of uh scorsese stuff and kind of went from there do you come with any kind of good conclusions about any of these or not to, to uh, jump in to, 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 to jump in and just clarify Bruce was talking about Jared's Twitter feed where he's been mentioning listing movies and giving them numbers in the order that he's been watching them. Am I correct in? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yep. 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 
Yeah, and so yeah, yeah, on my Twitter feed, yeah, that's just like <clears throat> movies that are new to me since like that I've started watching since the beginning of this year, and I'm up over like a hundred now, and and more than a few of those, yeah, or are ones from these watch throughs of either Scorsese stuff or Clint Eastwood stuff, or then all the you know new stuff that I go see and we talk about on here. So do you find that they do improve or do you find that some of these guys peak and then it's all downhill and they're going on reputation? Well, so far, none of them, there's nice ebbs and flows with all of them so far. Like there's nice ebbs and flows with Scorsese's career. Certainly there's nice ebbs and flows with like Clint Eastwood's career, especially I think, um, you know, like with Richard Jewell or even the mule into Cry Macho looks like it's going to be pretty solid. And um, obviously the Coens has been mostly just peaks, it seems like, throughout uh, their career. So none of them really have had any major drop-offs that I've been watching through yet. Anyway. Sorry to continue this, but when I look at Clint Eastwood stuff, I think, well, a lot of the things we see of late are pandering to an audience that he knows he has. You know, it's the Grand Torino crowd is what I like to consider it. Because you know, grandma and grandpa will go to one movie a year and more than likely they will go to a, a Clint Eastwood one because they know they've never been disappointed. But then he takes a real sharp turn with something like Jersey Boys. And you think, why is this in here? Is it just because he can do it? I don't know. But do you notice anything like that? That there's any kind of a formula? Well, I think the Jersey Boys thing maybe makes at least a little bit of sense considering how just how big of a music guy that uh, Clint Eastwood is. Because, like, he, you know, he, he's done the music for more than a few of his movies and is actually a really talented piano player. If you ever want to have your mind blown a little bit, just go on YouTube and watch him playing, like, jazz piano with people live. It's really fun to, to watch. Um, that's my only explanation as to how he ended up doing Jersey Boys. Okay. All right. How about his politics? Do you find that creeping in more and more it's kind of hard to argue not maybe although i do think and i i am not the like first person that's had this theory I've, I've heard other people talk about this too but that like movies like richard jewell and uh like 1517 to paris and uh solely an american sniper kind of a through line of all of those is that like heroism of like his time period you know when he was doing like his westerns and stuff like that that doesn't really exist in like our culture anymore so instead, we all have the when we do have these like hero figures, they're very flawed in like a variety of ways, whether it's Richard Jewell living with his parents or, you know, like Chris Kyle having a whole host of problems, including making up a lot of stories about his own military career or, you know, solely getting scrutinized by the uh, the FAA, even more than like a political through line of his movies over the last decade. That's really even more of the through line is, is that a heroism that's not even possible anymore or maybe never really actually was. Yeah. When you talk about rewatching stuff, I've been getting a big itch to blaze through a bunch of older Spike Lee films. He's someone who I've seen a lot of Spike Lee films, but you can certainly have seen a lot of Spike Lee films and still seen a minority <laughs> of Spike Lee films. And I've been watching the 9-11 epicenter series that he's been doing for HBO. And I know we talked in one of the news sections uh, a week or two ago about how he'd been called out for the review copies of the, the fourth episode of that, which hasn't come out publicly yet, 
there's like the last half an hour of it is giving a lot of air to thoroughly debunked 9-11 truth or conspiracy theory stuff. And because he got called out on that, he's been back in the editing room of his own volition. Uh, I'm sure that he could have pushed as hard as he wanted against HBO and probably got it out there, but he's gone back and he's working on re-editing that. To what end? I do not know. But so far, the first three, two hour each episodes are out and they're absolutely fantastic. Spike Lee is, is a filmmaker who, even if I don't like what he's doing, or if I am questioning what it is that's going on, it's beneficial for me to be questioning that. I don't know, like his films, they wrestle with a lot of very dense, knotty topics that are designed to make you uncomfortable and really kind of question why it's making you uncomfortable in a lot of ways. I always have faith that it's for a reason. And he also seems very happy if I disagree with him, he doesn't really care. <laughs> so I definitely need to kind of wade back through there and him as a documentarian. Uh, I said it last week and I will say it for the rest of my life, but the, the Katrina series that he did for HBO, uh, what, 10, 15 years ago, maybe is probably one of the most important, you know, documentary series about America, I think has come out in the past 20 years. So that's, that's what I've been watching is that, and uh, a bunch of action horror movies. I watched Nobody, like I mentioned, which I would thoroughly recommend. And I saw Spiral finally, which was fine. <laughs> How about you, Bruce? Any, uh, I have been watching all of the Monica Lewinsky um, miniseries, limited series. That's what I've been kind of digging into. And then some other shows that haven't really popped yet. They haven't. They probably aren't on your radar. But the Monica Lewinsky comes this next week. And it's very interesting when, when people are involved in the writing or the editing of a story that they are the subject of, how that switches things. This is the, the Ryan Murphy series. It's the impeachment American crime story is what it's called. And uh, what I find with that is it cuts her a really good break and she becomes a full character. I mean, it's like you see kind of all of the terror that she's going through. But then Linda Tripp, who's dead, can easily be a kind of a, an outline of a character and she can go in places that Monica doesn't in terms of being outrageous. That's a key that people should think of is who was involved when they were making this thing? How true to it is it if they had a hand in the way it looks at the end? And that's, that's my biggest takeaway. It does show you how a lot of the trouble that we see today with fake media and all that kind of junk, how it got its, it really a good foothold during this whole time. But I don't think it comes to any conclusions about Monica. It doesn't come to any conclusions about Bill Clinton. In fact, I wouldn't have even made him a character. I would have everybody talking about him and not showing him. But that's, that's a fascinating kind of look at, at that era. I really don't like, I guess, maybe this is me, revisiting things that I remember watching on television, you know, hearing about in the news, whatever it might've been. And this week, we're gonna have a lot of that with the 9-11 uh, anniversary. 
you'll find that a lot of those movies will be coming back that were made about the time. And you'll find a lot of specials and documentaries that are covering that turf. But it's good? Uh, glossy. Let's okay. put it that way. It reminds me of a 90s soap opera. So it's it's very Ryan Murphy. <laughs> yeah, and all of his his productions have an agenda. You can look at them and you can say, I get what he's trying to push here. And Monica being a part of it, I don't, it made her character less, less sketchy, but she still does things in the in the show where you go, hmm, she allowed this, she must have done this. Anyway, Monica Lewinsky does not come off as an innocent in the film. I mean, it seems like, just like with the OJ stuff that Ryan Murphy did with the first crime season, there are a whole lot of information points that people can consume about everything. There are, I mean, I think there's like a couple of different like CNN documentaries about it. I know Slate.com did an entire season of Slow Burn, their podcast series about it, where they actually interviewed Linda Tripp. I mean, that definitely provides a lot of different angles. Plus this, where you get, you know, Monica's side, which has not been told consistently or very well, I think, as compared to the other narratives that have existed around that. Yeah, it's like so many movies don't rely on anything as the one true source. Seek out other things and then come to your own conclusions. Because I think you can be um, persuaded in any direction with any kind of biography that's done just by who's making it. With the OJ thing, you had that four-hour ESPN documentary that- Eight-hour. <laughs> Eight-hour. Yep. That came out around the same time that added a whole lot of context to it. Um, I mean, anyone who's going to watch a, a biopic and think that that is the, the direct truth as opposed to a thoroughly colored version of, of what happened is- that's the truth. It's it all. It's all real. <laughs> They're fooling themselves. <laughs> Look at just even recently, we had respect that Aretha Franklin participated in, or at least helped. And then there was another one on National Geo that tried to tell her same story. So there are a lot of things out there, but I think it the key words are based on a true story, based on a true story, not the true story. Or the even more tenuous, uh, inspired by true events. Yeah. <laughs> you may recognize some of this. So that brings us up to speed on a lot of things. We talked about Shang-Chi. We talked about new documentary series. We talked about... Just a minute here. Back up. I think people will be saying, I'm going to Shang-Chi this weekend. And there is a very definite... Um, attempt by people in China to make sure that you pronounce it correctly. It's Shung, as in Shanghai. So I'm glad you picked up on that, Chris, because you are not going to be one of those Shang people that are going to be causing us trouble here in the movie theater. Nope. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. And you wonder how those rings actually fit on his arms, because they all look about the same size, but yet they're like a different layer. That was something that consistently took me out of the film, was that Nine times out of 10, there were no rings on anyone's arms. It was all added after the fact. And there's just something about it where the mechanics of that many things 
all together, having to match with sound, match with all of the, you know, geometry of his body. Yeah, it that did take me out of it every now and again. So we did that. We talked about some other good stuff that's coming out. And now we get to go to the news where I think we've got one item and I'll let Jared introduce it. We can dive right in. Yeah, uh, not necessarily a, a great sign of things to come. I hate to be the uh, bearer of bad news. This is from uh, Deadline. Top Gun Maverick flies from Thanksgiving to Memorial Day weekend. Mission Possible 7 ignites in fall 2022. Um, so basically, both of those are getting moved off of their 2021 release dates, uh, almost entirely because of you know COVID stuff still uh lingering and uh, uh i think even sadder for chris and i and bruce uh jackass forever is also getting pushed back to next february instead of october which a lot of times february is kind of a like graveyard for releases which is a little unfortunate that it's going to be coming out then i think february of 2022 we're gonna have to rethink what that means because things that are getting moved right now would have been blockbusters otherwise in any other year yeah, and then, um, you know, of course, there was the, the shifting around, too, of uh, Venom to, I think, October 15th now is when it's supposed to be coming out. I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> of course, there have been plenty of others that have gotten, you know, shifted around, too, including um, a, a big one that there's still some concern about that, that Chris and I were talking about, and that's whether or not uh, the new James Bond movie, No Time to Die, actually sticks around for its release date this year. I think they've got to. I really do. Something's got to stick. And come on, we need something to see. They'll figure out a way. That probably wasn't in the contract where they couldn't do it. And there's also the the timing of the announcement of this for coming out late on Wednesday, about a week or so, I guess, after CinemaCon, the convention of theater owners. And I can't imagine that things would have been as as rosy as some of the news coming out of or as you know optimistic maybe out of CinemaCon if they had known that three of these huge movies that they've been planning on were going to get pushed so far down the line and throw their schedules completely out of whack but yeah the bond i think if that moves again because it's moved so many times before and the the broccoli family who owns all of that and you know, has complete control over when things are going on. I mean, they have insisted that it's not going to be streaming in a day and date scenario. They're not going to, it's going to come out in theaters for a very specific window of time. And if that moves again, I think it's going to be a huge, huge problem. It should stay. I think it should stay. And besides, they've been talking about getting a new James Bond for how long? here's a good way to kind of clean out the tracks and get another one in place so that when they do come back with a vengeance, they've got something else sitting there. And that Billie Eilish song already won a Grammy. Put it out in theaters. Let's, let's make it happen. But my bank account doesn't benefit in any way from it coming out one weekend versus another. So what would your place have for the food item with James Bond? Gosh, I mean, it'd probably be some kind of like martini cocktail. Gotta have a drink. Yeah. Or, uh, I don't know, some kind of like shake and bake chicken or something like <laughs> some, uh, some, some shrimp scampi. Shake and bake, right? Shake and not bake chicken. 
we're trying to do a theme here with every one of these shows we got coming and they're all going to be real blockbusters. So you want to be there, but shut up. If you don't keep quiet in the during the movie, we're kicking you out even without the 10 rings. As you can tell, Bruce has been taking uh, nightly improv classes that are really uh, paying off. Right. I, <laughs> I'll be working all weekend, right? It's more the uh, the Daniel Craig from Knives Out than it is Daniel Craig from Bond. Or Logan Lucky. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> I loved him in that. I thought he was so fun. He needs to do more because I don't think he's good as a restrained kind of non-speaking guy. No, he's great cutting loose. Yeah. That can be the takeaway for this weekend is everyone should go watch Logan Lucky. I mean, the, the NASCAR season is uh, starting to wind down. What? We're oh, not no. going to have more NASCAR this weekend? Oh, no. What am I going to do? Well, I think NASCAR goes all the way till early early October, yeah, I think. It's a long season. Just when you think it's over, it's not. You're big on that NASCAR, aren't you? I was just born and raised in Charlotte, North Carolina, which oh. is where you've got Charlotte Motor Speedway, which Please. is where Logan Lucky was set. And that's where they filmed Days of Thunder. And that's where Where NASCAR headquarters is. Yep. One of the headquarters. Yeah. They're on the skyline and that's where decades, even before NASCAR headquarters was there. That's where a lot of the team's shops are. So that's where they're doing all their work. And, you know, so it's hard to, to grow up in Charlotte and not have some of that rub off on you. Um, Yeah. So we got Shang-Chi this weekend. Everyone should go see Logan Lucky. Cinderella. 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 That's on Amazon. Which is on Amazon. And you saw Cinderella, Bruce? No. (laughs) (laughs) No. Come on. When you're as old as I am, you limit that viewing to things that you know might be something you're interested in. I have no interest. Well, there you go. So, yeah. So, Cinderella's out there. uh, And, you know, God bless the parents that are having to rewatch that however many times over you know all those disney ones where they come dressed up like the characters oof it makes you not want to be a parent if you have to haul little bell with you and you got the beast back in the car no after this uh madcap episode um but yeah so we can throw it to jared to take us out Look, there's not a, there's not a lot of uh, certainties in this old world as this uh, episode of our podcast uh, is proof of. But one certainty that you can always count on. This is a very meta one. You can always count on me to say, see something good. Magnificent. You stuck the landing even when you don't stick the landing. Yep. Amen. All right. Well, thank you both for being on the show. And uh, people can find us on Twitter. We talked about Jared's Twitter. What are your Twitter accounts? Mine is uh, at TwoHeadedBoy98. And uh, if uh, anyone's interested in reading about local, um, like, oral histories of different, uh, well, it's not really an oral history. If anyone's interested in reading local histories of music scenes, I have a really fun one that I put together for this weekend that's a, uh, an extensive trip down memory lane for the punk rock music scene that existed for a little while in uh, Mason City. So that was really fun to put together. Fantastic. Yeah. Bruce? I am at Sue Bruce. S-I-O-U-X Bruce. Yeah. And you post about your, the, the video column that you do? Most recently, there should be coming this weekend, interviews with the stars and producers of Doogie 
Kamealoa MD, which is a new reboot of Doogie Hauser MD. And you'll get to see me interacting with the, the stars. That's out there somewhere in the ether. You've got impeachment coming. You've got impeachment being a show, the, not oh, not you having an inside line on 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 congressional. <laughs> I'm not impeaching anybody. No. And we have um, the new Selena Gomez slash Steve Martin, Martin Short series. Um, I talked with them. And then a review of this. One of the shows I just really love is what we do in the shadows. Yes, 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 yes. All right. Have a great weekend, guys. Happy holidays. Will do. Sounds good. Have fun Monday. Will do. So that is the episode. Next week, we've got a full slate of flicks hitting streaming networks, along with the latest Paul Schrader joint, The Card Counter, which stars Oscar Isaac, debuting in theaters across this great nation. You can check the show notes for links to where you can stream the movies that we talked about, discover older episodes, and find ways to contact Bruce, Jared, and myself as well, if you want. The show is produced by myself, Bruce, and Jared, and I'm the one who records and edits it. We hope that you've enjoyed the show and are taking care of yourself out there. As always, thank you so much for listening. 